0: Amen. I feel like we're, we could just go home. We had church already. It was all nice, don't you think? You know? It's good. Uh, but we've got, we've got some ground to cover. This is week two of a series that we're calling United We Stand. United We Stand. Um, I didn't grow up in church, and when I became a new Christian, I didn't read Christian books I didn't go to seminars. I went to church and listened to preachers and stuff like that, which I encourage very much for people to do that. Um, but I just, I just read the Bible and, and more uh, accurately listened to the Bible on tape and just wanted to find out what in the world does it say? What does this thing have to say? And one of the things that I noticed that was very different in the scriptures than how it is in real life. You know, there's differences between what the Bible says and what you find. You know, you get love your neighbor in the Bible. But what do you find? <laughs> you find different things. It, it, there's, there's differences. And so we have to figure out what do we do when there are differences. That's probably a whole nother topic. But one of the things I noticed in the scriptures was the unity of the believers. If you follow Christ, you are a brother or a sister to another follower of Christ. You are... Your siblings, you're in it together. You got each other's back, you're walking through this thing together. One united front for the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says, but then what do you get in real life? You get the just people sort of scattered all over doing this and that. You got different groups that hate each other. You got lots of different groups that hate each other. And lots of people who are just sort of fanned out all over the place, not working together. You know, I'm going to worship God in the woods by myself. Well, you can worship God, but you can't be part of the body of Christ by yourself. It's a part of the puzzle. You know, personal devotions is very important. And when you become a strong Christian, that's going to be your greatest place of personal growth is when you're alone with the Lord. But the group meeting is still very important. And small relationships, close relationships is also very important. So we don't want to get rid of all that stuff. And so it was interesting to see the difference between the two. And I thought to myself, There's, somebody needs to do something about that. And so I decided I pick my various people I would blame for the problem. You know, isn't that how, how it's supposed to go? Like, well, we'll blame them and we'll blame them and we'll blame them. And then finally I realized, oh no, I have responsibility in this. It's my job <laughs> to be the part of the body that I'm supposed to be. It's my job to work in a place of unity. How do I do that? So instead of figuring out what they were doing wrong and who to blame, I realized, oh man, I've got a I've got to do something. And uh so what I'm gonna do is preach on it. How's that sound? Yeah. <laughs> we'll preach on the truth and we'll try to get there. Um I don't like this Christian thing of you know, self righteous justification for division. You know, oh, the, those liturgical organ playing goofballs, oh, you get all self righteous. Oh, we pray, play contemporary Christian music. We're the good Christians. They're goofed up because they got an organ. Does that matter? No, who cares? Doesn't make any difference to the Lord. You know, I heard somebody one time say, you know, those, uh, that Gaither songs, those are going to be the songs that are played in heaven. You know, well, I like Gaither songs. That's good, but you know what? There's going to be a whole bunch of stuff in heaven. Uh, there'll probably be things in heaven that you're not anticipating. I get it. what's that? Country? Come on! I like that country gospel. Come on! We played a little bit before church, just uh, having fun. Send down the rain, Lord. Come on. It's good. That's how I grew up in a country gospel church. In my 20s as a Christian, I my growing up as a Christian, that was great. But they taught me all the songs country gospel and I thought that's how they went and they didn't, so it made it difficult to assimilate into the greater Christian culture, if you know what I'm saying. Last week we looked at a couple of scriptures pertaining to this topic and we're going to work our way through First Corinthians. That book deals with this throughout the whole book. And so we're gonna, we're gonna look through 1 Corinthians, but first we're gonna read again, John 17, 20 through 23. Uh, this is a prayer that Jesus prayed about us. You know, Jesus prayed for us, for you and me in this room. He prayed for us. And this was his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. So he was just praying for the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That would be us. We're the ones that believe because of the message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as You have loved me. So how unified are the believers supposed to be? Completely unified, the same as the Father and Son. I mean, he's like, get in on the Trinity. That's how close you want to be. Isn't that amazing? Do you think the prayers of Jesus could be answered? I believe he prayed this knowing it would be a mountain to move, but believing it could come to pass. Whew, I, can get, I can get worked up about that. This glory here, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. This is the catalyst. We can be one through the glory of God. We can be unified, O-N-E. We can be one Through the glory of God. We're going to talk about that some as we go. Unified because of the glory of God. Let's read. We'll talk about that in a sec. 1 Corinthians 1, 10-13. Again, uh, stuff that we covered last week. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we're in chapter 1 of the book of Corinthians, verse 10. So we're right at the beginning. Paul is... Planning to deal with this. So he starts off. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Did Paul agree with Jesus? Yes, we should be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, I would submit that that doesn't mean that we understand everything exactly the same. We can understand things differently and still have the mind of Christ. Because there's some things that are vitally important in having the mind of Christ, like loving your neighbor, loving your brother. Those things trump everything else. And when we get those down, then maybe we can move into theology. But don't start doing theology before you get love your brother. Because then your theology is going to automatically be wrong because it's coming from a wrong heart. Perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Chloe. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? In the spirit, Christ is not divided. On the earth, he is. And it's our fault. How you feel about that? <laughs> Feeling good today? This is going to end nicely. We're going to have fun at the end, but there's going to be some harsh realities on the way there because our flesh wants to justify ourselves and not like people that are different from us. And that's permeated the church. And we need to do something about that. Is Christ divided? Not in the Spirit, but we have done it on the earth. We have divided Christ up. This is not confusing, but just to make it more clear, let's substitute some other words here uh, in these verses. How about this? I follow Luther. I follow Pope Francis. I follow John Calvin. I follow John Wesley. I follow Good Hope. I follow... CGT, I follow grace. Isn't that what this means? I follow this group, I follow that group. If we say, hey, I'm, I'm Good Hope, uh, you know, Good Hope first and foremost, we're dividing Christ. I'm a Christian. I go to Good Hope Church. I'm a significant part of Good Hope Church. It's kind of fun. I very much enjoy it. But' I'm, a, I'm in the body of Christ and the body of Christ is bigger than Good Hope Church. Amen. Amen. So that's kind of where we left off. Let's jump now to First Corinthians chapter three. But let me ask you this question. Is division between Christians a sign of spiritual strength, a sign of spiritual maturity? Or a sign of something else? Is, is, Okay, well, let's see what Paul has to say in chapter 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly. Do we know what the difference between spiritual and worldly is here? Spiritual is the stuff of God. And worldly is the stuff not of God. <laughs> Just to make it as simple as possible. I cannot address you as people who have the stuff of God, the glory of God that binds us together from John chapter 17, but instead you're just out here on your own. You're just people doing people things, squabbling and fighting and letting your emotions and your flesh rule you. Not as spiritual, but as worldly mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. So Paul's getting a little frustrated. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? So what is the defining factor that Paul says is worldliness, jealousy, and quarreling among God's people? That's worldliness. Jealousy and quarreling. I wonder if there might be some of that in the body of Christ today. Hmm. That's worldliness. Are you not acting like mere men? Are you not acting like mere men? Aren't we just mere men? Mere people? Not if you've been born again. Not if the Spirit of God has been born in you. And now Jesus has given us the glory of God so that we're not mere men, we are people with the Spirit of God in us, walking in the glory of God. That's not mere men. Mere men just squabble with each other and fight and form their little groups and, and, and don't get along. We, the spiritual ones, <laughs> that's, I'm speaking in faith, come on. We stand together, unified through the glory of God. Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? When one says, hey, I'm all about good hope, and another says, no, it's the tab, are you not mere men? Isn't that just worldliness? That's just worldliness. Are you not mere men? God's glory is not manifested in division. When Jesus said, I have given you the glory that God gave me, that glory is not shown amongst people squabbling and fighting. People don't see the glory of God when they see his people fighting with each other. They just see messed up, yucky stuff. That's not the glory of God. The glory is shown in unity. What is God's glory? What is it? It was something I've been like, I don't know. It seems a little like out there. What is the glory of God? I, I don't know. Is it like real shininess, you know? Like really shiny. That's glory. Uh, so I looked it up. I had to figure it out because I needed to know. In the Old Testament, the term translated glory in our English translations is the word weight. Weight, like substance, like power, like the, the the godness of God. His weight, His glory, His power, His strength, His weight. That's the glory of God. So the substance of God is God's glory. In the New Testament, I would describe it as, this is my translation, the super awesomeness of God. That's God's glory, His super awesomeness. God is super awesome. And when we see that, when we recognize that, when it's tangible or when it's theoretical, that is the glory of God, His super awesomeness. Is God's super awesomeness shown among squabbling Christians? No! But isn't there great potential? Isn't there great potential? This is the thing that gets me hopping, is what if we actually do what God says and work together? What if the Christians of 2013 decide, you know what, our differences aren't that important. We're unified in Christ through God's glory. We want to show Him glorious. So we're going to work together no matter what. We're going to love each other no matter what. We're going to stand together for the glory of God. What if the prayers of, an- of Jesus are answered? Wouldn't that be something? I think that would be something. Let's do what we can To bring that to pass. Putting the notes together, I had to take some deep breaths, you know, like that'll be okay. Just relax. Which comes first? The unity of the believers or the glory of God? It's a little bit of a trick question, so just scaring you. What comes first? Unity or glory? I think it's like this. Glory, individually, unity, and glory in its grand sense. It starts with the glory of God. We need to get that personally, individually, and then that should bring us together. The awesomeness of God, recognizing God is bigger than me. God is smarter than me. God is in control. I'm going to submit to Him. That means working together with people I may not otherwise like and realize that if I don't like them, I must be wrong because God loves them. So there's some re-education I need in my heart. So the glory of God hits me individually. That causes me to be unified with other believers, which brings the grand glory of the body of Christ. Glory, unity, glory. So it's got to start on the inside. The lie from Satan is this. Glory, I get hit with the glory of God. Wow, those other people are all goofballs. (laughs) Wow, are they failures and useless people. I'm going to stand alone as the great Christian. Is that not the lie of the enemy? So many times I've seen people in their early Christian walk, they connect with God, and the next thing the devil just goes, look at the the mistakes those guys are making. Look at how wrong they are. Look at how goofed up they are. And you're like, yeah, they are goofed up. Yeah, they are wrong. And yeah, they are. Do you realize people are imperfect? Do you know God uses imperfect people? Do you know why no other option <laughs> so we should be okay with that too god is okay with that he's okay with using imperfect people he's got no choice so it's it's glory unity Glory, don't fall for the enemy's trick of glory, division, and then this false, like, individualistic thing that's messed up. It's not the glory of God. The glory of God in your heart should bring you unified with people who are goofed up, who are not perfect. Jesus did not buy that lie either. If anybody should have come to this earth and said, wow, you people are messed up. I am out of here. It would be Jesus. But here's what Jesus had to say. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 12, 22 through 30. I'm going to try to, man. You guys got a couple extra minutes today? Maybe three? Somewhere in there. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Very, very important stuff. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Isn't that something? All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, Okay, now, are the Pharisees about unity or division? Division. Ah, Pharisees. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. You know why they say that? Because Jesus talked to demons and gave them commands. And they're like, wow, the demons are listening to him. They must be on the same team. He must be like a chief in their hierarchy or something. So it wasn't just jerkness. It was a little bit of a misunderstanding as well. It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined Just leave it here, Seth. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. How many kingdoms divided against themselves will flourish? How many? How many? God's kingdom? Will God's kingdom flourish when it's divided against itself? No. It will not every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. That's what Jesus had to say. Another tactic of the devil is to get you to blame others. Blame other people. Not just, I've talked about that already, I think, a little bit. That's that's what the devil got me with. It's their fault. Ah, and then I can sit in my righteous indignation and blame other Christians for how the, how the body of Christ is going and not do anything. Sitting on the couch thinking other people are doing it wrong doesn't prevent you from being a hypocrite. Kind of adds to the hypocrisy that you're living in. I did that. I know all about that. <laughs> um, but there's a tactic the devil uses. He gets us to blame others. Let me ask you a question. Is the worldly culture in the United States destroying the church? Oh, am I mean? I set you up. I set you up. I set you up super bad. I got lots of yeses on that. Lots and lots of yeses. But I set you up. But we love you. Even if you give the wrong answer. Is the worldly culture destroying the church? No. Matthew 16. Let's read this. This is where um, Jesus says, hey, to his disciples, you know, what are people saying about me? And they're like, oh, some people think this, some people think that. And he's like, but what do you think? And then uh, Peter says, I think you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, church there, that means the group of people, not the building. Uh, it means the, the ones called, the called out ones, the the, peop- the gathering of Christ's gathering, his people, not the building. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates Of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. The church, the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, will hell overcome? No! We win! The only problem is if we self-destruct. The gates of hell will not overcome. Now, I always thought this was an interesting thing because how how do the gates overcome? I always thought, well, what, do you attack somebody with a gate? That seems weird. But this implies that we are on the offensive. This implies that the kingdom of God is advancing and breaking down the gates of hell to overtake the people that are caught in there. The gates of hell will not keep the gospel out. We're on the offensive. The kingdom of God is on the offensive. And hell itself can't win. The only thing that can stop us is if we self-destruct from the inside. It's the only thing. This is a big deal, isn't it? This is a big topic. Still pretty excited. Oh, what does God think about the self-destruction of his church? If we're going to destroy the church, what does he think about that? You think he's for that? Oh, poor little guy. He's whining and crying about other people and blaming everybody else. Let me give him a hug. Do you think that's God's response? You know, Jesus loves us. But when you read the Scriptures, our God is not an enabler. Our God is not soft. He's got a plan, and His plan will come to pass, whether or not you get on board with it. If you decide not to get on board with it, every branch in me that bears no fruit will be cut off. Like, well, we'll see you then. I told you this was going to end nice. I'm still on the first page. i get on the second page soon. It's going to get better. All right. What does God think about self-destructiveness in his church? 1 Corinthians 3, still in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now the you here is plural. It's all y'all. Don't We like that up north. Don't you know that all y'all are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in all y'all? In us as a group, we are, the group is the temple of God. Where is the glory of God? It's in the temple. In the Old Testament, the glory would come down and I mean it would glow and stuff would happen. There would be a tangible, physical presence of the glory of God. And that can happen today too. It does happen today. But it happens in his temple, in the grouping of people. You, the group, are God's temple. And God's Spirit lives in the group. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. So, how does God think about division in the body? Not, not real good. This word destroy, I looked it up, and it, it's like to wither profoundly, like uber wither, or, or, you know, like to, uh, to wither on steroids, you know, like it's round up ten times power, you know. It just, it's like when Jesus went to the fig tree and he's like, what? No figs? And it's like, it withered. It's that. Isn't that, isn't that weird? He, he like yells at a fig tree for not having fruit out of season. That's another day. Um, <laughs> but whenever Jesus does something that doesn't make any sense, you know he's got a point. Something's going on there. Um, but if anybody causes God's temple to wither, to, to waste, to, to rot, how would we do that? How, how would we cause that to happen? Well, this is right after the, I follow Paul, I follow Paul, so I follow Cephas. It's right after that talk. We cause the body, the temple, to wither by our infighting. The glory of God is not manifested, but a withering, a ickiness, a yuck is manifested. God's temple is sacred. He loves us. We're that temple. Getting closer. Getting to the second page. So, what's the proper approach to all this? So far, I've just been saying all these mean things, and now we we're we're having a good religious experience because we all feel guilty and we don't know what to do. Right? <laughs> Isn't that isn't that Christianity? We just feel guilty and we're stuck. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Ah, I just feel guilty and then now uh, you're being a good Christian. All right, well, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If Robin's word was exactly right, hey, he wants to pick your head up. Um, what's the proper approach? There's lots of division in the body of Christ, lots of different churches, lots of people that are just disconnected. Um And I'm Firmly convinced that next week there isn't going to be just one church in Cloquet. Um, you know what I'm saying? I think that'd be naive. It's not going to happen. How do we approach this? What do we do? Well, thankfully for us, Paul deals with that here in the Scriptures as well. We're going to work our way there. 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to read the, next, the subsequent verses after this wasting-destroy thing. 3.18-20. Do not deceive yourselves. If anyone thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. So the, the withering thing was right before this. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So the wisdom of this world, the wiseness and the standards of this age, what is he talking about? What is Paul referring to if we put this in context? He's referring to theological discussions. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or Peter, Simon. He's talking about theological arguments about which group you align with. That's the the wisdom of this world. He's not talking about atheism or any other goofy thing. He's talking about divisions in the body of Christ. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. Keep going. So then, here's the answer. No more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. All things are yours, Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. What does that mean? That means that the body of Christ belongs to you. You're part of the whole thing. Does good hope belong to you? Yeah. How about the tab? Sure. What about Grace Baptist? Absolutely. We are part of that whole big thing. All of that belongs to us. Why would we short-circuit that and get in our little group? Let's be part of the whole thing. Be part of the whole body. It all belongs to us. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Hallelujah. So, we're all part of one big thing. We like to say, well, you know, I'm I'm in this group or I'm in that group and my group's better than your group and we we like to do that. But we're still just all part of one big thing. And we need to understand that so that We don't have division in our diversity, but we have unity in our diversity. Is it okay for a church to play hymns and an organ? Yeah, it's perfectly fine. Is it fine to sing new stuff that's on 97.3? That's perfectly fine. That stuff doesn't matter. We should be unified in our diversity. The gates of hell will not prevail over us if we stand in love one for another. Oh. Paul, Apollo, Cephas, perfect? Completely perfect in every way? No. Messed up. Goofed up. Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Goofed up people. And they made more mistakes after this. And yet, Come together in unity and love. That's God's command. Don't think the other groups are perfect. They're not. Neither are we. Don't be naive. People are people. We're trying to do well. But there's imperfections. Somebody might come in here, I call you by the wrong name, you think I don't care. What You know, something like that. That's a mistake. Oops. Sorry. That's an imperfection. Do you want this to come to pass? That there's glory, unity, and glory. Imagine if all the Christians in this county were brothers and sisters in Christ and loved each other completely and were like, oh, I didn't realize you were in the family. Good to meet you. You know? Like, oh, here we are. Wouldn't that be something... Wouldn't that speak to the world? You can only do your part, but it's a big part. You can only do your part, but it's a big part. First, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to repent and follow Him. If you've been wandering and straying from Christ, you need to say, No, I'm going to follow Him. So you repent, you say, Lord, I'm sorry been going my own way. I've been worldly instead of spiritual. Thank you for the blood shed on the cross and let Him lift up your head. You give your life to Christ. Then let His glory, His super awesomeness, His weight hit you. And love Him with all you've got. Love your neighbor. Love your brother and sister in Christ. And Jesus even said, love your enemy. That's the glory of God. Because the awesomeness of God is that He loved us when we were still sinners. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. That glory hits us. We come together and we share that glory. We love you when you're imperfect. We love you when you're still a sinner. We love you because Christ first loved us. That's your part. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to just release the group. Lists. I'll release the group. I'm going to pray with some pray some stuff and, and then let you go and then we're going to have prayer up front. If you have a specific need, we've got a prayer team here. we'll pray. we we'll believe God for good things. I want you to come down here and get prayer. Uh, if you're a mom, they got roses for you, and so make sure you get one before you leave, but uh, let's just bow our heads um, Bow our heads and close our eyes. I just want to know if there's anybody in here. Or, rather, how many there are in here, will have the courage to say, "Yes, I need to repent and follow Christ. Yes, I need to change." I want you to raise your hand if that's you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Put your hands down. Six hands. Praise you, Lord, Heavenly Father. I thank you for those six. They've raised their hand. They want to. They want to be made clean. Lord, I pray that, that they would feel right now the power of your forgiving strength, that you forgive, that when we repent, when we, when we take a stand, you wipe our sins away. Help them to receive that. The Lord, and I pray they'd come up for prayer afterwards. We can pray with you. And Father, help them to be able to follow you and help each one of us. Lord, we know that when we receive from you, we are to share that. When we receive from your glory, we are to share that glory. And so, Father, help us to walk in your ways. Help us not to just hear a sermon and then just go back to life as usual. Help us, Lord, to follow you. Guide us by your Spirit. Give us strength. We give you praise, Lord. You are so good. We honor you. We honor you in this place.